Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It's February 20th, 2019, otherwise known as New Comic Book Day, and welcome to the Talking Comics Podcast. You're listening to episode number 378. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me this week are Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy belated President's Day. Joey Bertino is back. Woo! <laughs> and Jessica Schaefer's here, too. Hello. Hello. Well, all right, Mr. Enthusiasm. Let's why go. don't you uh why don't, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Where have you been, man? You know, I've just been hanging out, listening to the Talking Comics podcast. It was really yeah, was it any good. It was great. It was fantastic. Uh that that people's interview with that uh, was spectacular. Yeah, um man. No, I've been doing a whole bunch of stuff. I've been all over the all over the uh stage as it were. I, 2 weeks ago I was helping with the middle school musical we did Willy Wonka it was adorable Mm. um yeah it was super super cute the middle school kids are so tiny compared to the high school kids they're just so small but they work so hard uh and they're so excited about everything they they don't stop talking ever and uh they smell terrible but other than that (laughs) they're adorable and the show was great it was super fun um and, you know, tons of people came out. We had a little carnival at intermission with wine and candy for all the parents. And it was just a good time. Um, so that's like a, pretty much the entire week, two weeks ago. Uh, and then the week after, I was invited, the night we usually record, Tuesday, I was invited to the um, invited dress rehearsal, the final dress for Be More Chill on Broadway. Yeah, very exciting. I I know the um, sound engineer for it. And he actually, um, he and I actually saw this show like three years ago um, in Two River, uh, at Two River Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, home of Kevin Smith's comic book store. I don't even remember what it's called. Uh, Secret Stash. Secret Stash, yeah. and it was a great show then, and it was by one of our favorite writers, uh, Joe Iconis. Um, and then it kind of went dormant a little bit. And then that summer, uh, my friend and I actually directed a production of one of Iconis's other shows. And he came down to see the show, which was very, very exciting. Um, and Scott, my friend, actually kind of maintained that relationship a little bit. And he's working on the Broadway run now. And... Uh, yeah, it was exciting to see him in his, you know, working the boards and we saw the show and it was just, it was so cool. Um, Be More Chills like this sci-fi musical about a super quantum computer that this loser kid takes to be cool. 
and uh, it ends up trying to take over the world. And the music's bumping, and if you get to the Broadway, catch it, because I think it's got a, a bright future. Um, so we saw that, and then um, we just had a bunch of other plans all week. Uh, I saw Kyle McLaughlin read a short story at Selected Shorts Uptown. That was pretty cool. Whoa, wow. Yeah. Been, it's been a crazy uh, opportunities just present themselves and I just go um, the last two weeks. But it's been a little hectic and I've uh, uh, tried to read when I could. Um, and the big the big uh, obstacle for me to overcome the last two weeks really was was finishing The Punisher on Netflix, everybody. That was <laughs> that was an ordeal. That was an ordeal that I got through yesterday. I finally got through it. Um but uh, no, it was a great two weeks. I, I missed doing the show though, and uh, I'm glad to be back. Is that Aww, all we're you. getting out of you for the Punisher? Well, it's in my lightning round. Okay, okay. I mean, okay. I'll, look, I'll He'll tell you. Waiting. I'll tell you what I thought. That show. All right, was, all right. tell us. Tell us in a little bit. Um, show... Answer this. Answer this question. What was the best song from the Willy Wonka performance? Oh, the best song in Willy Wonka is is Cheer Up Charlie. I love that. No, that's the worst one. But the song, no, no, like in the show. It's the show that okay. like you, when you see the show, you're like, oh, Cheer Up Charlie was so nice. The show that was in my head for decades after watching the watching the show for every day for five months or however long we were working on it was um, Who Can Bring a Sunshine? <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Flippy-doopy-doo. I have no... I, I don't no, even know the, the candy lyrics man. to that song. Yeah, the, the candy, candy man song. The candy <laughs> man. Simba-doopy-da-bow. I don't know the lyrics at all, but it's it was just an earworm in my head. Yeah. I had to drown myself in two bottles of whiskey to get it out. Uh, I have two, two songs in movies that I can never watch. One of them is Cheer Up, Charlie. And the other one is from a Muppet Christmas Carol (laughs) where like Ebenezer Scrooge's girlfriend sings a song in the middle of the movie and it just puts me to sleep. (laughs) So I fast forward through it every time. The thing about it's just sticking with musicals, the thing about Be More Chill that I really like that if if you're like a fan of like sci-fi stuff or like B-movie stuff. Be More Chill is a really cool show because it has that like, you know, technology craziness to it. But it's also totally tongue in cheek. And the music is like it's like this punk rock show. It's super fun. And the and the squip, the character of the supercomputer is played by one of my favorite actors, Jason Tam. But he basically plays it as Keanu Reeves. As a supercomputer, it's 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 brilliant. It's brilliant. He'll come on and be like, "I'm your squip. I, I'll make you cool. You have to be more chill." And I'm like, "Oh, this is the best show ever." That's not bad, actually. Thanks. <laughs> Keanu Reeves Whoa. is one of my idols. He's amazing. He's a cool dude. All right. Anyway, that's uh, where I've been. Thanks for having me back. We also have comics on this podcast <laughs> for those of you just tuning in. Uh, we have lightning rounds, open discussion, uh, and also there was that uh, that comics DNA hashtag that's been going around on the old Twitter. Uh, we're going to give you our versions of that a little farther down the line, but for now, I would like to hear from Bob. How are you? I'm hanging in. Good. I don't have any good stories. Not like somebody sitting to my. Uh, ethereal left. She has a much better story than I do. I would love to hear it. I'm sure we all would love to hear it. My story or Bob's? 
<laughs> Yours. You oh, tried man. to make you tried to make what glitter slime. <sighs> We, well, we did make glitter slime. It, it did happen. I've talked about it before. I have a three-year-old niece, and she is very good when it comes to crafts. She loves to make crafts. So I've been buying, like, all the slime kits that we could find to make crafts with her. And she, you know, is really good. She listens to directions. And we decided to make unicorn poop glitter slime. Well, there's <laughs> a combination the of words you don't that, hear very often. <laughs> that was a, a little hot name. Friday night. Um, and we let Uncle Dan cut open the glitter package. Oh, no. <laughs> which, so it was which, his fault. Well, yes, it was. It was such a mistake. This was the most diabol- diabolical glitter I've ever seen in my life. It was really fine. It, like, flew. There's still glitter, like, all over the place. You could see, like, particles of it, like, flying in the air in the lights in my apartment. Okay, Just we were breathing covered. it in. It was, yeah, it's, like, in my lungs. We've ingested it. We're going to die from oh. glitter slime. Okay, that's going to be the death of me. Um, yeah, there are pictures on my Instagram if you'd like to go view that <laughs> we were literally covered in glitter for glitter for days as we like to call it or the herpes of arts and crafts <laughs> um, is what it really is and yeah poor life choices you know i made a poor life choice i decided to make glitter slime with a three-year-old and a grown man <laughs> and apparently we couldn't accomplish that <laughs> But what wonderful art did you create with said glitter slime? It must oh, be you, something amazing, you, right? No, you don't create anything. You just, kids just love this stuff. I don't know. But this is like a thing on YouTube where they just watch other kids make slime and like stick their fingers into slime. That's all you do with it. Oh. Is you, you, yep. you literally just stick your fingers into it. And Bob. she's. Oh, open. go ahead, Justin. <laughs> no, go ahead. That's do you true. remember Gak? It's that's exactly what this is. You're yes, just making gag. Yes, that's yeah. that's all it is. Is you're making gack in your kitchen. And Nickelodeon gack. Yeah, that stuff made the best fart noises well, yeah. when you stuck your thumb into the bottle. Wasn't Nickelodeon slime, and then gack was just gack. Yeah, I think there was slime two different and consistencies. Yes, one was a little runnier, <laughs> and one one had a had a way oh, that you, no. you could summon it out of thin air. And be rained down upon with green slime. Did they had something else too? They had foam. Do you remember foam? And it had like it was like gack yeah. with foam. like the beads in it. <laughs> yeah, foam was like the the bendy, posable like uh, yeah. foam beads that were all stuck together. Yeah, apparently you can make that as well. I was informed. Yo, I want to do this. <laughs> Bring it back. Come on down. I got a three year old and and a house full of slime to go. We can add yeah, some. We used to make shrinky dinks. <gasps> shrinky dinks. We had like gummy insects that you could make yes! in an ad scientist's lab. Creepy crawlers. Those are called yeah. creepy crawlers. And you bake them. It was like uh, an easy bake oven, right? Yeah. <laughs> remember that? It had a light bulb and you'd cook it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had the best toys. Yeah. Now kids are playing with these things. You ever see, see these things called poopies? They're, they're things that come from the toilet. No, and it's like it's, it's a toilet brush action figure. I am not kidding. I am so not bad. kidding at all. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like, no, these kids are playing on their iPhones and their Nintendo Switches. No, nah, they're doing that too. <laughs> but I do that too, so I can't really call them out for that. But yeah. you definitely call them out for playing with uh, plastic piles of crap. <laughs> well, this was... I had garbage pail kids, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, this was actually labeled as you know unicorn poop. That's what this that the label says unicorn poop on it. It was marketed. And then it had a little thing, the little container that it went into that you can make the fart noises with was a little poop. <laughs> it was uh, a little pineapple poop. So yeah. That's so they're bringing it back. They're bringing it back. Pineapple poop. Poop, poop 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, 
now that we've talked about that <laughs> segue let's talk about segue hard, hard segue let's talk about some comics um bob would you care to go first sure thanks yeah <laughs> follow that I, up if I had known, yeah if i had known i'd have prepared something but sure <laughs> let's go for it all right i'm gonna put five minutes on the clock for you use as much or as little of it as you like go quickly since we are going to do the other stuff today, Betty Page, Princess and the Pinup Number Two, David Avalone, Julius Oda, just simply a blast. This features spy stuff, Betty masquerading as Queen Elizabeth II, and a Martian invasion. Just to top things off, these alternate history tales that that David Avalone's been doing just been wonderfully done homages. In this case, to the Queen of the Pinups, and I can hardly wait to see what comes next, particularly with the next series. Betty Unbound, where she's Red Sonia and a Space Princess and all that other jazz. That's coming soon. Next up, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 41, by Ryan North. This features art by Naomi Franquiz from Misfit City. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Also, along with usual suspects, colorist Rico Renzi and letterer Travis Lanham. This is a story about that diabolical new supervillain, Ms. Quizzler. There are reams of riddles and tons of puns. Uh, as Doreen, She-Hulk, and Thor try to outsmart Ms. Quizzler in order to rescue Nancy Whitehead and Peter Parker? Has he been split into two people? Have I missed something in the regular Peter Parker books? But that's what's going on, apparently. By the way, Ms. Frank Quiz's art is a really nice mix between Derek Charms and Erica Henderson's, and all three of them will be on display in next issue's 50th anniversary celebration. Whoa. Yeah. Next up, Wonder Woman 64 by G. Willow Wilson, Jesus Mourinho, and Romulo Fajardo Jr. brings two new antagonists into Diana's view, the stranded goddess Aphrodite, and one other we'll wait a little bit about, just in case. We have you know, Aphrodite is now Diana's house guest, and of that latter development, Steve is a bit wary, quote, it's just really uncomfortable having the goddess of love wandering around passing judgment on your private life. As to Wonder Woman, she finds herself in battle with Nemesis, the goddess of grudges. Nemesis isn't acting on her own, though. She's being manipulated by Veronica Kale, who's harboring her own massive grudge against Diana over the removal of her daughter uh, by the Amazons at the conclusion of Greg Rucka's recent run and her, na and her now apparent loss as Ms. Kale informs Wonder Woman that the Muscuri is completely gone. Seems that Diana is so shaken by this news that added to some recent questions in the Ares uh, battle sequences, it has her legendary resolve rather shaken as we come down the end of this issue. I think G. Willow Wilson is doing a fabulous job so far. Uh, finally, Captain Marvel number two by Kelly Thompson, Carmen Carnero, and Tamra Bonvillon places Carol inside the dystopian land that was once Roosevelt Island, but is now the realm of the nuclear man. Carol's not alone, as Hazmat Echo and Jessica Drew have formed a resistance movement, as time inside the dome moves a lot more slowly, and it's given them months to organize. Great action and characterization, and just two issues in, we're, we're really seeing that this team is operating on all cylinders. I absolutely love what we've gotten in two issues so far. Lots of great Carol stuff, and now we've got the teamwork happening. Great to see. So that's it for me. With a whole minute and 33 Ooh. seconds left on the clock. I'll take it. Hot damn. Yeah. 
Yeah, Joey well, will borrow your time. Yes, for his. absolutely. Well, the, <laughs> I, I cede my time to the representative from the United Nations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I just want to say something real quick for Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Uh, first of all, loved it. Second of all, favorite part is when Tippy and all the other squirrels are gathering and then mobilizing. Yeah. yeah. The panels of Tippy like, let's move out. And they're all just like going in their own directions. But the idea of getting the script for this and be like, okay, now draw one climbing on the electrical lines. This one's holding on to the top of a taxi driving down the road at high speed. And then like you have this other squirrel that's like Ethan hunting its way across a window on the side of a building. And the woman's inside carrying papers. She's like, you can see that too, right? <laughs> and just hilarious and amazing. And uh, I, I had a lot, a lot of fun with it. Um, Joey, did you get a chance to read Captain Marvel? Of course I did. Oh my God. Oh, what you think? Can I talk to him about it? Is it Captain Marvel? Um, no, yeah, of course. I loved it. It was, it was really cool. It's, um, I am a sucker for these, like, like uh, stuck in a alternate reality, have to you know form up and take on the bad mm-hmm. guy stories. Um, Mark Wade did it with Captain America a couple of years ago. It was awesome then, and um, it's really cool. I love that Echoes in it. Echoes one of my favorite characters, and uh, I'm glad that even in this issue, Carol's like, I'm pretty sure she died. I don't know how she came back, but here she is. And thank God. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you. That's all I needed. Like, like let's <laughs> yeah. just move on from here. Um, she's a great character and, and it's so cool to, to, to have her there. Uh, Jessica drew, you know, Carol Danvers, um, big kind of surprise at the end, quote unquote, uh, cliffhanger ending. It's, it's a cool cast. It's a cool team. It's a awesome take on the character. And, I'm excited. It's it's so different, I think, from what we've gotten. Um, and there's actually a letter in the back of the book, too, I think, that addresses that directly. Someone's like, you know, I was so into the Space Carol stories, and mm-hmm. I was worried about this one, but I love the first issue. I'm excited going forward. And, and I think that's how I feel, too. You know, it's cool that Carol's in the position now where they're not just telling the same old Carol story every time they're, they're being ambitious and they're making big moves in terms of what kinds of stories they're telling. So Mm -hmm. I'm down for it. And they are doubling down on that, that pimp costume outfit line or the (laughs) pimp cape, some, something or Russian pimp cape. cape. I'm like, all right, we're doing it. It's, it's a cool book. It looks great. Um, uh, the cover for this issue, I really enjoyed. It's like the gang of, you know, the Mad Max cover, right? Yeah. But yeah. some of these covers get a little uh get a little racy for me in terms of, of how Carol looks. So I don't know. But that's just Oh, the, I haven't seen the other ones. I feel, like, I feel like I flipped to the end of this one. It was like next week, uh next month, and it was just like a butt shot or something. I may be making that up, but it just <laughs> it, it 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 just I was like, oh I wish we had more like Mad Max covers, you know. Same artist, Amanda Connor. Oh, I see it. It's not. I, it's not so bad. It's. It is a butt shot. It is a butt shot. Yeah, yeah. Every now I don't know. A little, a little booty. At it now. Just yeah. a little booty. <laughs> you brought it up. It's all your fault. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm digging the like futuristic Mad Maxi kind of stuff. I love the vehicles. I love the outfits. Uh, and it's cool to see Captain Marvel in this kind of environment. I agree with Joey that this feels like it's something different than what we've gotten uh, since Kelly Sue had been on the character. 
And I don't know, it feels like a cool new direction. And I really dig the art. And uh, like Joey said, the characterization is fantastic. So, uh, and yeah, big, uh, big pimp coats all the way. <laughs> uh, Jess, do you have any thoughts about this? I did not get to read it, so no. <gasps> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I ran out of time. Travesty. I ran out of time. Did you all read right. Wonder Woman, though, Jess? I did read Wonder Woman. I'm loving Wonder Woman. I'm totally into it. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but that ending. Uh, I was yeah. like, ah! so yeah. I'm 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 into the Wonder Woman right now. I think uh, G Willow is doing a great job, and I think Bob agrees, which is you know, yes. when Bob agrees, that's you know it's <laughs> you, you know you know it's some good Wonder Woman if Bob's okay with it. The fire seal of approval. That means you'll be canceled in about three weeks. Yep. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think you're the only one that's put in your seal of approval. What has been what has been the last casualty of the Ryer curse? I feel like it's been a while. I, I feel almost as if you've been winning for the past no. like year and no. a half. Well, Wasp. I'd say do- well, yeah, Domino. Domino. Yeah, but Wasp, Wasp came Domino. back. Domino's coming back in the form of hot shots. That's still yeah. gonna be the same creative team. Wasp, Domino, something else. I I think we've been doing all right. We've been doing better. <laughs> Considering I, I lost X Factor, what three times? Oh, so sad. <laughs> that was a long time ago. It's been a while. It's still better. We, we've been it's doing this for a while. The, the movement, still better. The movement. Let's 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 go. I oh, speaking of which, I um I went through all of our our entire comic book collection and packed up a bunch of stuff, brought it over to Heroes, got a much larger amount of money for it than I had ever anticipated. And we got a bunch of nice stuff. But while I was going through uh, all the boxes, I found all of our uh, issues of the movement. Nice. And I took them out and I, I posted a photo of them to Gail Simone. And when I was looking at the issues, I'd realized that the first issue and the last issue she had autographed the both of them, and it occurred to me that that was, must have been the day that, uh, Bob, you and I sat down and did our interview with her at yes. uh, New York City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So I thought those were like really cool bookends to have her signature on both the first yeah. and last issue. It was like, oh, man, this is so cool. It's like a cool little uh, keepsake. want to see some more Vengeance Moth and her <laughs> fruit roll-ups. <laughs> I want to see some more from that series, period. I don't know. I think that would be cool. Mm. Um, Batwoman. Anybody else? Didn't Batwoman or, or Birds of Prey? Wasn't that Bob? Wasn't that one that got canceled recently? Or you just dropped off it? I dropped off that one. Yeah. It, it did. I, but the thing is, I had dropped off it, come back onto it, and then they canceled it. There, there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. So that, that would count. Bob, wait, Bob started buying it again. Kill it off. <laughs> I had, and Batwoman disappeared too. So there you yeah. go. True. I keep track. I have a tally on my wall of, of <laughs> yeah. Bob's killed. <laughs> the Ryer graveyard, <laughs> the pet cemetery of, uh... <laughs> and they all come back and they slice your Achilles tendons. Yes. Oh, oh my god! Oh, that movie looks so good. I can't wait to see it. All right, let's move on. Jess, do you want to do a lightning round? I knew it was going to be me. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and then I'll go, and then Joey will go. Fantastic! Fantastic! Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, I run a tight ship. <laughs> Right, here we go. Five minutes on the clock. Go. 
All right. Batman number 59 to 64. For the first time in, oh, about two months, I was finally able to read Batman, uh, which I do have to say I'm actually kind of happy about. Um, I'm glad I read all these issues together in one shot. As I've said before, when you read King's stuff, you sometimes have to wait a few issues to be able to really understand what's happening. And these six issues are no different. Uh, They're dark, gritty, pretty gruesome. And I absolutely loved it. King has really stepped up the Batman game. I don't think I've ever had to actually think about Batman. Like I have to actually think think about Batman when you're reading these. Um, He has taken Batman from just being a superhero book to a real psychological thrilling and crazy adventure. The issue number 62 with the pig man is a true standout Mm -hmm. amongst six issues. And Mitch Gerard's art in that issue is really something else. Uh, Yes, I am still reading Batman and yes, I am still enjoying it. Uh, I almost hate to say it, but I'm probably going to start trade waiting for it because I really enjoy, I really enjoyed reading it all together. I did. I liked it better that way. Um, I, I'm going to remember these words. Sorry, I, I am. I really enjoyed it. Anyway, next books, uh, Hexwives, number one through four, Ben Blacker, uh, Marika Andalfo on art. Uh, I'm going to start off by quoting the Sci-Fi Channel's fangirl blog. Uh, Hexwives is the violent, cathartic witch comic we need right now. New from Vertigo, Hexwives is about a coven of reincarnated witches. For centuries, they have been repeatedly murdered over and over again by an evil collection of men called the Uh, the architects after one of the leaders of the coven is adora is it kills the leader of the architects the men are left with no choice but devise to devise a plan to keep the witches sated and in the kitchen skip forward 13 years and we see isadora and her soulmate nadia living the perfect suburban housewife dream complete with a pearl necklace and no recollection of their former life but when one of the members of the coven accidentally kills a cat in her garden the blood flows the magic starts to happen and the witches start to wake up This book is absolutely wild. Think Stepford Whites meets Lady Killers meets The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It mixes horror with fantastic dark comedy and a nice punch of female empowerment. The art is outstanding, and with every issue I read, I just want more. Uh, To quickly quote Blacker on how he came to write this book... It came from a place of anger. It came from seeing the inequality around me and seeing the way my wife and sisters and female friends were treated and the way their lives were different from mine when we were really all doing the same things. And it made me angry. And you can feel that anger in his writing. I'm dying to get my hands on the rest of this. I cannot wait for issue five as issue four leaves a bit of a cliffhanger. All in all, this book is magically fantastic. And my third book was Magical Beatdown, volume number one. Uh, Words and Art by Jen Woodall. I have to say I was a bit surprised when I grabbed this book out of my pull bag. I wasn't expecting a $6 book to be Ooh. the size of a pamphlet from the doctor's office. Uh, so I'm Whoa. not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I was semi-annoyed going into this, but I actually feel kind of bad because I definitely should not have judged this book by its cover. I feel I need to read the blurb from previews to be able to actually explain this book. Uh, so here it goes. A hyper-violent street harassment revenge fantasy in the style of Sailor Moon about an average video game loving schoolgirl who transforms into a foul mouthed and rageful uh, magical girl when provoked. This book was adorable. Well, if you think magical schoolgirls cursing for about seven pages straight is adorable, and that I do. It's also packed full of badass chick butt-kicking action. Uh, the Though the art is pretty simple, it mixes perfectly with the story, and I'm always a sucker for some good Bende dots. Even though I'm still annoyed at the price of this book, I'll definitely be picking up number two in March when it comes out. 
So that was just in wow. your box when you went uh, to pick uh, up your books? Well, no, I had I it. I, I asked James to. Yeah. Okay. I, I, he knew that I wanted it. So, but I was not like online. It, there was nothing about it being like a different, you know, format. And, and yeah. when you pick it up, it's tiny. Like it looks like literally it feels like, you know, something that your doctor would give you when, when you have a disease. <laughs> okay. Wow. It's like that kind of size. Um, but it was really good. It really was. Um, there is a lot of foul language in it though. Like a lot. So it's not what is, so what do you estimate the page count at? Um, does it have a page number? No, it doesn't have any page numbers. And probably for good reason, maybe like 20. I don't know. Not even, I don't, I don't know. It's okay. very, it's very small. It's, it's very small, but it was really jam packed for the size. I, like I said, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Is it maybe trying to um, come off as a manga? I, I think so. It is kind of done a little bit in that style. You don't read it backwards though. It's still mm-hmm. done that. I was just really Six dollars. Like when you see it, if you it's six dollars oh, for six, this book, oh. six dollars was a little. It was a little much. It was a little much. I do have to say. I once paid ten dollars for a Deadpool issue. I once, but okay, <laughs> this is not anything like that Deadpool issue. I know which one it is because that's the minute I stopped pulling Deadpool for myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think that was the moment for a lot of people. Yeah. But, but uh, like, uh, nine dollars or something for an uncanny X Men issue or something like that. Oh, eight dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah I gave. Yeah. I yeah. totally caved and I, I complained about it online too, and then I immediately bought it thereafter. That's why you can <laughs> never trust me. Um, yeah, I bought it. I'm complaining about it. I'm still gonna buy the next one that comes out for six dollars too. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the best part about you, it. Is you know what I always it. drop the money on is the DC New Talent Showcase. Those are also like eight or nine dollars. Yeah. But I'm like, cool. you know, what? I think it's worth that. Yeah. Though, you know, yeah. There might not be too many of those <laughs> in the future. We'll see. Uh, Hexwives sounds really cool. Yes, I think you guys would love Hexwives. I really liked Hexwives. The art, oh my God, the art, and it's just phenomenal. It's yeah, really. It's Gandalf, right? Yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. It's really good. And I know Joelle Jones did, I think she did the first cover and maybe mm-hmm. the second. Um, I think she did a couple covers for them as well. So it's got that whole style. I'm telling you, it's, yeah, it was um, really. Yeah. Mirka does uh, Unnatural. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. She's amazing. She's a, she's a fantastic, fantastic. She's one of my favorite artists from last year for sure. Yeah. It was really. I wow. Yeah. I read the first issue of that when it first came out and it just, it kind of just got swept up in the pile and I forgot to talk about it on the show. And then I saw it on your list here and I was like, Oh, it'll be nice to hear what, how that's shaped up. But uh, yeah. you sold me. That sounds awesome. That's another book too. I do have to say, I did enjoy reading it all together. It's a little, I don't know if I, I would enjoy the same single, single issue to single issue, but is there one more issue left in the arc? I think so. Cause they leave it on a pretty pretty big cliffhanger so i'm i'm hoping uh, i didn't um, look it up so i'm not sure it, but I is hope. it an image book no no it's um vertigo oh so it's not gonna be out and trade for like no. eons yeah so you'll see it three years from now all right um, well I'll, I'll have to purchase it digitally <laughs> then or something good god all now, right they also have hex vets have you seen that one jess no it's a it's a i guess it's young adult i bought her for a friend of mine my friend angela's daughter diana uh, it's teenage witches who are trained to also be veterinarians and they, they <laughs> heal, they heal dragons. Oh, I need this and, now. What, yeah, do, what do you mean? Yeah. yeah so it's by, it's by, by Sam Davies. Came okay. out right, right around Christmas. Here goes my, my wallet. Yeah, it's called Hex, <laughs> Hex Vet Witches in Training. 
Oh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, like where do, do you see the cover with a purple dragon? And oh two... my god, I already see it. I'm. I just googled it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god, it's. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, that's that's purchased buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked. It. I, I I was up at Escape Pod looking for something for this. She, uh, Diana's eight years old, going on just became nine, and it was. Well, what do you got? He went. Well, does she like dragons? What well, little girl doesn't like dragons, especially purple ones and witches? It's like yeah, sold. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, screams me. This screams. Yeah. I'll talk about this next week. Thank you very much, Bob. There you go. Next time around. Congrats. All right, selling comics here on the Talking Comics <laughs> yeah. podcast yeah, to each thanks. other. Thank, thank you, Sam. Give me three dollars on that one. I want to. I want to cut. All right, uh, I'm gonna make with the lightning round magic, and here we go. So, uh, I have one book for you Whoa. this week. I know. Um, this took me a while to get through. It was a bit of an emotional read for me. Uh, I read Kid Gloves, Nine Months of Careful Chaos, created by New York Times bestselling author Lucy Nisley. So I'm going to read the blurb from the book, and then I'll give you my thoughts. Her whole life, Lucy Nisley wanted to be a mother. But when it was finally the perfect time, conceiving turned out to be harder than anything she'd ever attempted. Fertility problems were followed by miscarriages, and her eventual su- uh, successful pregnancy plagued by health issues, um, which led up to a dramatic near-death experience during labor and delivery. So, um, yeah, I went into this book uh, thinking that it was going to be like a romp, and what it turned out to be was a, a very serious, um, all right, fun recounting of of lucy's uh pregnancy anyway before i ramble too much i'm gonna read what i actually have here (laughs) right off the bat uh i'm a big fan of lucy nisley i read her graphic novel something new right around the time that bronwyn and i were planning our wedding and the book was exactly what i needed to help keep me uh planted onto the ground uh, throughout the planning stages. Uh, in my experience, Lucy has a knack for putting a friendly, uh, informative, and comedic spin on a series of very relatable topics. She's also making graphic novels for... She's been making them for quite some time. And so if you go back in her catalog, you can more or less follow her through a significant portion of her adult life. Uh, I'm at the point in my Lucy Nisley fan career where I feel like I know a great deal about her passions and particularly how hard she's worked to get to the places that she's been, uh, be it professionally or personally. I love her ability and courage to be so transparent with her audience. And it's a pretty risky business in this day and age. And as someone who values a good portion of his privacy, I admire her gift for turning some, some of her most private moments into art. Uh, the book hit me particularly hard because while I don't want to share too much about the subject, uh, my sister-in-law is currently trudging through hell and back while trying to bring a child into the world. The stories that I hear from her and her husband have broken my heart a hundred times over, though we remain hopeful uh, that something will work out in the future, trying everything within their power to uh, to have a child, and it has been a thing. So with all of that in mind while reading this book, like I said, it hit me on a, on a personal note, um, just knowing somebody who's going through so much of what's mentioned in this book. Anyway, Lucy's story is incredible, and I learned more in her graphic novel about the birthing process than I ever did in school, let alone my 38 years on this planet. I really dig releases like Kid Gloves because I feel like you get more than just a harrowing story. You get educated. 
and you become a fly on the wall for this person's journey, the inspiration you feel from it is just a bit more energizing because you know that the story is based in fact. So, yeah, that's my little dance for Kid Gloves, Nine Months of Careful Chaos by Lucy Nisley. Uh, just like when I read something new and relish, I walked away from yet another of Lucy's books with new knowledge and a smile on my face as well. Um, wonderful, wonderful book. And that's another awesome release from first second. Uh, one of my favorite publishers of the last few years. How much time do I got here? I don't got a minute. You know, you're the <laughs> a minute and 23 seconds. I'm just talking to myself. Calm down. Um, I saw Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. You should all go and see Alita Battle Angel. It is much, much cooler and much better than you anticipate it being. Yeah. Uh, it is a genuinely great sci fi movie that has a lot of heart, re- ridiculous amount of cool effects. Motorball is the business. And I loved I loved the characters. I I, th- I thought they were all really cool. Alita um, herself was was really well formed, and uh, really enjoyed her journey and just the the world building in that. I really really hope I don't know it's going to make enough money, but I really hope that it does and they make a sequel because it was it was the first time that I went to go and see a sci fi movie that like delivered on its promises. I remember like hoping that Valerian was going to be really cool. And I went to go and check that out and it was like, me, it's all right. (laughs) Um, This was like, oh man, I hope this is cool. I hope this is cool. And it really, really, really was Uh, technologically mind blowing. And like I said, a lot of heart, I cared for characters and relationships that I didn't expect to. And when things took a turn, I was genuinely moved and upset. And I just, I don't get that a lot <laughs> from these types of things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Joey, you saw it too, right? I just saw it. I I saw it on your notes and I was like, I'm going to go see it right now. Uh, so I went <laughs> and saw it and yeah, I was with you. My roommates also, they, they saw it last week and they were like, it is so much better than the trailers let on. And it totally is. Um, I don't know what it is with like trailers now. They are terrible at marketing their movies for for some studios. But um, the the Alita character is great. The character I didn't like gets taken out of the movie twice, so I was okay with it. Uh, in terms of uh, that character's end, as it were. Um, but, uh, and a surprise cameo at the end there too, that I think they're banking on sequels. And look, if, 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 uh, if James Cameron can get four Avatar movies lined up (laughs) and with nobody giving a crap about any of them, then they can make another Alita Battle Angel movie. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. If they're not pouring all of their money into Avatar. (laughs) Yeah, everything's going Avatar right now, Joey. No part of me wants another Avatar movie, and no part of me wants three more Avatar movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't tell them that. No, I think everybody's telling them that, and they're doing uh, it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I really think that they're hoping that the movie's going to come out, and it's going to be this technological marvel, and it's just going to reawaken the beast. But I don't know. Avatar was a long time ago. 
I mean, the, yeah, they got that whole section of Disney now, too, right? Didn't they just build, like, a whole section, yeah. Avatar section of Disney? Yeah, they what, did. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, Pandora. What is yeah. the technology going to be that is going to be that groundbreaking? Are they going to put me in the unobtainium? <laughs> Am I going to have it? Like, is the seat going to be made out of Giovanni Rabisi's face? Like, I don't really understand. It's going to come out. It's going to be in 4D. They're not going to tell anybody until they're actually in the theater. Yeah, like plants, they're gonna, they're plants will grow immersed. around you while you sit there in the theater. No, I'm never going to another 4D movie or yeah. whatever that ever again in my life. I did that once. That was a mistake. <laughs> I just so, feel like we've already seen Andy Serkis actually be Caesar in Planet of the Apes. Like, I don't how much more advanced does it get than that? You know, I don't know. Jess, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy in, in 4D. That was the worst experience yeah. of my life. Not only that, like, you're sitting in, like, a roller coaster seat the entire time, and I was sitting next to my brother, and me and him are not, like, little people. I'm short, but, like, yeah, like, my brother's, like, six four like 300 pounds and he was like squished <laughs> it was so funny it was like he couldn't get the thing down it was ridiculous and it was terrible and they like shot like smells into your face and you got yeah. shot with water it was Smell like over, yeah it was all over but the water just got all over my glasses so i'm like <laughs> i can't see anything like and everyone had 3d glasses on so it's like everybody's glasses are wet it was horrible it was the worst i feel like we've like we've talked about this <laughs> before but i'll just i'll just super quick I saw Shrek 4D at one of the theme parks, and there was a part in the movie where I think Donkey comes up to the camera and, like, raspberries you in the face, and all this water spritzed out from a container on the back of the person's chair that was sitting in front of me, and some of it went in my mouth, and I was like, okay, this ride's (laughs) over. (laughs) This is fucking done. Yeah, but you can't get off. It's a ride you can't get off. When you you start to think about how often do they actually, like, wash those troughs that the water sits in before it spritzes at you, like... My coffee maker gets, you know, funked up if I don't clean it every couple of days. Could you imagine what they're spraying into your mouth? <laughs> Legionnaire's disease. Yeah. That's that's patient zero material right there. Yeah. That's how it starts. That's how it Contagion starts. Contagion. It started with Shrek 4D. Yeah. <laughs> I looked it up. Here's what Avatar 2's technological advancements are going to be. Oh, boy. They're shooting it underwater. Oh. Oh. Great. Well, it's yeah. because James Cameron has had more time underwater filming than anybody else in the world. Or also, so he would have you believe. He wants to do glasses-free 3D. I'm yeah, fine with that. Okay, really if that actually works, that's cool. But who cares? <laughs> no one. No one really cares. I can't, I still have yet to see an Avatar beginning to end. I keep it's, falling asleep. It's a lot. <laughs> if you care about Avatar, please, at Talking Comics. On <laughs> tell, us, tell us why. Let us tell know us why. why you care about Avatar. <laughs> I will say that the Ava- Dark Horse put out an Avatar comic uh, I think this past month. I think it's up to issue three now. Apparently it's very good. So <laughs> if you are an Avatar fan, Dark Horse has an Avatar comic just for you. There you go. What I'd rather see Cameron do a sequel to is Piranha 2, The Spawning. Nice. Flying Piranha in 3D or 4D? That I'd pay to see. I think no we already question. had Piranha 3D and Piranha 4D. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, they don't have flying Piranha. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the difference. You mean he Piranha, fly... Piranha 3 Double D? Isn't that, isn't that what it was called? Yeah. By John Gulliger from Feast fame and Project yes. Greenlight. Yes. Uh, first one was fun. What's his face? <laughs> that, uh, yeah. Who's that? Oh, what's that guy's name? Finn oh, Rams. my God. 
What is it? Ving Rhames? No, no, no. The guy, the the the, the douchebag that was running the like the girls gone wild stuff that oh. got his his junk eaten, <laughs> and he's like sitting on the back of the boat, and he's just all bones. He's like, oh, I'm much. <laughs> <laughs> like the Verona coughs up his junk, in, like it's like before it cuts to another scene. Is it Jerry? O'Connor? Oh my. Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. And it was yes, either Jerry O'Connell or Jason Bateman. Jerry O'Connell. That's oh, totally it. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry I confuse the two of them all the time. Um, oh my God. Yeah. See, you see the first Piranha remake. It's actually pretty fun. Um, there are some gory ass kills in that movie. It may, it makes it almost worth the, uh, price of admission. All right. Joey, would you like to, uh, Get in on this lightning round action. Yeah. I'm going to punish this lightning round. Oh. Punish. on the clock, buddy. Bring it home. Uh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, <laughs> as I said at the top of the show, I did spend the last two weeks slowly trudging my way through Netflix's The Punisher Season 2. Ah, oh, God, that show is terrible. Uh, season two is just a uh, just it's just too much. It's the worst. It's, it's, it's the worst Marvel much. season they've ever done. Uh, it's too much. And then there's this great moment at the end of like <laughs> episode thirteen. There's two moments that I was just like, this should have just been the whole show where Billy Russo wakes up in a dumpster. And Billy Russo, I'm gonna spoil it because who cares at this point? The show got canceled. It's done. Billy Russo's <laughs> bleeding out. He's like, he goes into the basement. He's waiting there. And then he's like, uh, Curtis, come sew me up. Help me, please, man. And then Curtis calls Frank. And Frank silently walks into the basement, walks up to Billy Russo. Billy Russo's like, I knew it was you, man. Blah, blah, talking, talking. And Frank's just like, blah, blah, done. And he's just like, no words. Oh. And I'm like, you know what? That should have been the Punisher from the, the beginning of the show. Like, the th- and I and and part of me too. I'll get into my lightning round, but I went and read a bunch of Punisher uh, after watching the show or while watching the show, because Frank Castle works on a very specific level. And I think that what this season did wrong is it tried to regurgitate a lot from season one. And Frank just talks too much. I love John Bernthal. He's a great Frank Castle, and he's great at like playing that part. But Frank Castle as a character works better as man in the shadows, man of few words, surrounded yeah, by a good Yeah, he's the boogeyman with a gun. Right, exactly. And there's some really cool characters in the season and some really terrible characters too. But mm-hmm. um, I, I saw what they were trying to do with like John Pilgrim, the Men in Night, and Billy Rousseau and Frank Castle, like three sides of the same coin. And notice how I said three sides of the same coin and how that makes zero sense. It made it's zero perfect. sense here as well, right? <laughs> um, I didn't need Billy Rousseau. He should have got taken out episode two exactly the same way. And then it should have been Pilgrim versus Frank Castle for, you know, three more episodes and then be done with it. Um but it's you know there are, there are little flashes of really cool stuff and that theme song is pretty awesome I will give them that much um, I do want to pour one out they did announce uh, yesterday that Punisher is done at Netflix and Jessica Jones is done as well after the next season um, which I'm fine with the way that this Punisher season two ends is exactly the same thing as how Daredevil season three ended it's like all right that's that's it I don't need anything else after that. Um, with all that said, I was able to read a bunch of Punisher. Now, 
I started by reading Punisher Volume 11, which was the kind of most recent run before the current one that Matt Rosenberg's writing. Uh, Matt Rosenberg is writing an, a volume of The Punisher where Frank is in the War Machine armor, because why not? Wow. I didn't read that yeah. one, though. I went back and read Volume 11, which was by Becky Cloonan and was Steve Dillon's last work on The Punisher uh, before he passed away uh, last year. Um, and Matt Horrock takes over uh, for, for Dylan after um, he passed away. 17 issues long. The first main arc of it deals with Frank facing down this Condor Corporation, this fancy science mercenary thing run by some rich asshole that sells this stimulant steroid drug to people who want to feel powerful. But actually, they just OD and become raging zombie monsters. So, you know, Frank's like, you know, has a field day with those guys. At one point, he throws a bear trap at a dude. It happens. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, there are two big heavies here, a psycho named Face and Frank's former CEO in the Marines. There's a lot of drama there. There's all also, a, of course, because it's the Punisher, a lady cop who gets caught up in the whole thing, you know. Um, after about 10 issues of that, there are several one-off stories that feature Frank doing the whole Punisher thing, too. Really awesome seeing Becky Cloonan write the Punisher. Um, I'm going to be honest, Steve Dillon was never my favorite artist on the Punisher. With that said, he just knew how to tell a Punisher story. It is brutal. It is gruesome. Um, the staging's perfect, and Matt Horrock does a does an admirable job following up after that. Um, after I finished Clunan's run, I went back and I I talked about it on the show several times, but I wanted to make sure that I reread it. I reread Rick Remender's Frankencastle run. Uh, several artists, mainly Roland Bashi and Tony Moore. This was volume eight, Punishers number eleven through sixteen, retitled Frankencastle for number seventeen through twenty-one, and finished out in a miniseries called Punisher in the Blood. So this volume of the Punisher dealt directly with the Dark Reign storyline that spun out of Secret Invasion, where Norman Osborn takes over the whole universe because he killed a scroll in front of the yeah. television, right? It was awesome. I'm a huge fan of Dark Reign. Fight me, whatever. Um <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Frank Castle obviously takes a shot at Norman Osborn. So what does Norman Osborn do? He sicks Deken, his Wolverine, on Punisher. And Deken chops Punisher Frank into a bunch of little pieces and cuts his head off. And then what happens in Frank and Castle is little mole people come and they take all the pieces of Frank Castle oh, and they go down <laughs> to the sewers. And then Morbius, oh the living vampire, and the Legion of Monsters, Manphibian, the Mummy, the Werewolf, Jack Russell, all those people, they put him back together, and he becomes a Frankenstein monster. And he spends the last, the last part of Volume 8 as this Frankenstein monster who basically defends monsters from these these like Japanese samurai warrior people who want to kill all the monsters. So he becomes this Frankenstein vigilante who just kills all these. It's awesome. It is incredible. Um, there's a ton of other drama in there. Billy Russo, Jigsaw's son, Henry Russo is his kind of like tech support. A lot of drama there. Microchip, Stuart Clark, all these people are resurrected and brought back in. In the Blood is all about Frank doing kind of a once and for all against jigsaw it's it's pretty awesome 
What was really cool about Remender's run too is that he and Marvel just like published all the hate mail they were getting for turning Frank Castle into a Frankenstein monster in the back of the book. People were like, this is the worst Punisher I've ever read. How could you do this to Frank Castle? I'm a Marine. And I was like, holy shit, this is escalating, you know? Um, but then there were other people that were just like, thank you so much for doing something totally different with with the character. Garth Ennis has been writing Frank Castle for 55 years, you know? <laughs> like, and, and thank you so much for doing something different. So it was a really cool story. If you love Frank, it's totally out of the blue and totally random and worth reading. It's volume eight, Punisher number 11 through 16. It's on Marvel uh, Unlimited. So if you want to read it there. Um, last thing I'll talk about to kind of segue into what we're going to talk about later is I did read The Umbrella Academy because once I finished Punisher, I was like, I need to watch something good. Let me watch The Umbrella Academy. And I went back and read the book too. Um, I read volume one, The Apocalypse Suite by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. Um, so Reginald Hargreaves adopts seven strange babies who are all born on the same day to women who had shown no signs of pregnancy. He raises the children to become superhero crime fighters, except number seven, who shows no special powers at all. Um, they are strange and odd and eccentric. We get flashbacks to some of their capers in the book, including the day the Eiffel Tower went berserk and flew off into space. Yep, that happens. I remember that. Um, and in the present day, Hargreaves has died and the dysfunctional siblings return to the Umbrella Academy to bury their father and in the midst of all that, get caught up in a new conspiracy about the end of the world um which is also the premise of the show too so it's a nice segue there but um it was really cool kind of going back to the scene of the crime as it were gerard way this was kind of his first big comics work um uh and obviously gabriel ba is one of my absolute favorites day tripper from fabio moon and gabriel ba is, is one of my definitive comics and uh I was getting a lot of Casanova vibes from this too, kind of looking at the artwork. It's totally, totally balls to the wall, postmodern, wackadoodle fun in this book. <laughs> um, if you haven't read Casanova, if we ever do another like book of the week kind of thing, I will totally put up Casanova to to for that because it is one of my favorite books. And Umbrella Academy was a nice kind of return to that spirit as well um but if you like the show volume one Apoc the apocalypse suite is super cool super fun it's only about six issues um and i think dark horse is re-releasing it soon so if you did want to catch up there and the show isn't exactly the story it, 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 the the comic is obviously a little bit weirder and a little bit more uh because you get to do weirder stuff like have the eiffel tower fly off into space um but the show does have the same spirit in a lot of ways, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, my extended uh, lightning round. Well, I have any number of comments <laughs> on one of the things that you've just spoken about. But before I fly off, does anybody else want to uh, interject? I want to know how we get from him being put back together by Morbius and the werewolf by night and everything to... Is he back to being Frank so, Castle? So what happens? Point? So what happens towards the end of the Frankencastle run is what the thing that they're fighting over, right? That these Japanese samurai people and the monsters are fighting over is the bloodstone of Elsa Bloodstone's dad's fame, ah. right? And the bloodstone has mystical healing properties that Morbius uses to uh, keep Frank alive as a Frankenstein monster. And then what happens in the final issue of the run is. The Legion of Monsters exiles Frank Castle on Monster Island 
for like months and in that time the bloodstone turns him back into a, a human um what's so crazy about the frankencastle run is the volume after that is greg rucca and marco Cicchetto's volume nine which is like my punisher that i love so much and that's the one that introduces rachel cole alvarez and and uh ends with war journal it's one of the best punisher runs it's it's bearded um bearded one-eyed frank it's incredible and then volume 10 is nathan edmondson and mitch gerard's run and then finally we get to becky clunan so that frank castle run is just this weird anomaly that's so fun and so strange and totally worth reading and tony moore's artwork like it's tony moore's the the, he he's the original walking dead artist um so it's it's so interesting to read that too Mm -hmm. so getting back to dunking on the punisher season two (laughs) (laughs) i'll be quick i just Bronwyn and I gave up the ghost of that show a couple weeks back. Uh, we've watched a lot of cool things since, but uh, we tried going back to it. I think it was yesterday or the day before, and we couldn't make it. We were in uh, episode 10, and we were already at the point with the show where we were fast-forwarding through stuff. We couldn't do the Billy and uh, Dumont. Doctor. Yeah, I, I can't remember her name. That's terrible. Uh their relationship stuff was was killing me both of us we had to skip past that and then we have this uh spoilers for the punisher season two we get to this point in the show where mennonite has just been in this ridiculous battle and he goes back to his hotel room I know what and you're talking about. <laughs> there's a party going on next door so he decides to go and tell them to quiet down but oh there's some drugs in the room and he's in the mood because he's running out of sniffing cocaine. So he puts the gun in the guy's mouth and he walks in. And then the next time we come back to him, he's still covered in blood, stoned off his ass, drunk as hell and getting uh, a fellatio while giving a sermon. And that's where I looked at Bronwyn and I was like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) I like, we're completionists where like we really want to see it through we want to watch it all we've never abandoned any of the marvel shows even iron fist season one we stuck with it i was like is punisher season two really gonna beat us and tonight we just we gave it up gave it up (laughs) yeah not good it's and i will say it it doesn't get better from there (laughs) like it, and it's so it's so, it's so bad about it is like the first three episodes I was like oh we're this might be fun I really dug the first three episodes and if then, it was three episodes long I would have been totally <laughs> fine with it and then and then that Billy Russo Jamoke showed back up and I was like this is gonna be a thing and it it just never it never stopped it never stopped because it never really goes anywhere or if it does it takes nearly seven episodes to do it it's so draggy yeah i don't know <sighs> all right a bummer it is a bummer it sucks it sucks that it's that like that's the that's the ending impression like i really enjoyed that first season a lot and i do still like john bernthal's punisher and there's maybe like two maybe three other characters that i enjoy uh in this season of the punisher but like it just it just didn't have it uh, for me, and I, I can't, uh, I can't bring myself to finish it. I'm sorry. No, please don't. I'll tell you um, everything that happens off air. 
You know what is cool? I haven't though? been able to bring myself to start, so don't, <laughs> don't, don't better than don't, me. Don't bother. Don't, don't, don't bother. Umbrella um, Academy, what, though. Yeah, Umbrella yeah. Academy. Um, I've finished Umbrella Academy, and um, I'll just say I really, really enjoyed it a lot. It reminds me a little bit of something from Barry Sonnefeld, kind of like a uh, Pushing Daisies or Adam's Family vibe to it. It's really kooky. They go to some very bizarre places. Um, and there's a there's a really good emotional core to that show that in the later episodes really starts to uh, shine quite a bit. And I was really surprised at like how involved I'd become with these characters. And there's some pretty devastating stuff toward the end. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I really loved um, uh, was it Hazel and Cha-Cha? Hazel and oh, Cha-Cha. God. Mary J. Right? Like the two Mary bounty Jay. hunters that are Mary after Jay? number five. They're a Mary J. Blige. And I, I don't know the actor's name yeah. uh, that played <laughs> Hazel, but the, the chemistry between the two of them was outstanding. Yeah. Like every time that we came back to them, I was always super interested in what they were doing, um, how they were faring as a team, whether or not they were going to turn on one another at some point. Like it was, they were a very, very cool addition to like the core cast. Um, and I, I, I just, I really, really liked that show a lot overall. And I think it's actually doing really well. Uh, I've been seeing people talk about it everywhere, yeah, which is uh, really nice to see. And there's apparently been like a huge, uh, push for it from Netflix uh, as far as advertising goes. So hopefully uh, that does super well. Um, uh, the other thing that I've seen recently is uh, we watched the first two episodes of Doom Patrol on uh, DC Universe. And I, I got to say, like, that's actually pretty cool, too. Uh, we really enjoyed Titans from beginning to end. I thought that was a lot of fun. And Doom Patrol is more of that like really just kooky comic book stuff that I was like, ah, this is okay. And then there's a moment in episode two where they get weird and it's like weird, weird. So I was like, okay, all right. Like you're signaling to me now that you're willing to go there. So I'm, I'm definitely down for the ride. Um, my only thing is I'm hoping that they, continue to develop the crazy Jane character. If there's a weak link anywhere in that show so far, uh, I think that character needs a little bit of work. I don't know if it's the actress or the material that she's been given thus far. I just, she's not selling it like the other characters are. So I'm hoping uh, that that picks up, but uh, it's very odd. And uh, if you're in the mood for some R rated comic book goodness, uh, you might want to check out doom patrol. And it is very much, r-rated there are there is nudity there is a lot of foul language um uh, maybe a little bit more than needed i don't really enjoy that aspect of it but they're going there and if that's what they want to do with it then so be it um i want to check out the rest of the episodes once uh we're able to get our hands on them but if you have dc universe and you haven't checked it out yet you should probably give it a look so um, all right, that's enough of me talking to myself. So <laughs> with um with Umbrella Academy, I was getting a lot of like Legion vibes. Yes. Yes, yeah. me and Dan yeah. the same thing. It it never attains Legion level of Legionness. But it's definitely there. But it's definitely it's there. there a little bit. And I think Umbrella Academy lends itself to that too. Um the music is great. Oh the my cast yeah. is great. Uh that I, first episode. Yeah. Oh. But, when Luther picks out the record and the with Tiffany, 
Tiffany. <laughs> it's great. I'm about. I think I'm on episode eight. They just did their little. Uh, they just did a little time travel bump thing. Um, okay. So it's and it's funny because the episode. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but the episode that played out of that, it's like a two parter. And I was like, man, this episode's a little weird. And then they do some things, and I was like, oh, that makes sense now. Um, the show's great. I think it's heavy. I think the actors are great. Um, I, lo- I love the uh, – what really gives me the Legion vibes is, like, the hard title. Like, the it's like, Umbrella Opens, Umbrella I, Academy. Yeah. Or like, oh, I oh, love that Here's stuff. a mug, the Creative Umbrella ways Academy. they find yeah. to, to expose the logo. Yeah, it's a little forced yeah. and totally, like, they were like, Legion did it. Let's do it. Um, they're definitely trying to mine that for as much as they can. Um, it's funny that you bring up the kind of, like, emotional core of it because the original comic book, having read it, I, I watched, like, four or five episodes, and then I was like, let me read the comic and then come back to it. And uh, so now it's kind of cool seeing how much they did keep in terms of the plot of the original story, but they they flesh so much of it out and focus so much more on the kind of um, emotional core of everything. Um, uh, like Hazel and Cha-Cha. Hazel, who to me, I don't know the actor's name either. To me, it's just like not John Goodman, but almost John Goodman. Oh my God, that's what Goodman said. Because <laughs> uh, he's doing that thing where he's like, you know, I just need some, I just need some candy. You know, and uh, it's funny. And um, they're in the comic. They're like just a, like a bit panel. They don't even have names. And um, here they get this whole arc, which is awesome and eccentric and weird. Um, it's a cool series. And I had no idea it was coming out. I think now they're pushing it. But like uh, before, maybe two weeks ago, I didn't really see much of anything for Umbrella Academy, which is like, in my mm. opinion, Netflix's kind of like weakness. I never really know when things are happening and then all of a sudden they're there. Like um, I talked a few weeks ago about Polar, that movie with uh, Matt yeah. Mickelson in it, which is based on a comic book too. I had no idea it was happening until I opened up my like recommendations and it was there and like all these new series are out and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is a thing and I watch it and they're great and um, I'm glad because Umbrella Academy was awesome and I have two episodes left. I'll probably watch it when we're done tonight, but um how many episodes have you watched i'm on episode eight okay oh all right that one is 10 yeah okay yeah i'm getting my episode counts confused i think doom patrol is like 15 or something like that um cameron Britton is uh or Britton is uh the actor for hazel so good so good as hazel i'm and i'm sorry i was like when i saw the title come up and it said mary j blige i was like excuse me (laughs) um what where why when um you know i haven't heard from mary jane since what the late 90s (laughs) but she's fantastic in it she's so good i was really like super stoked i could tell you the whole time i'm like mary (laughs) jay like they're like oh she beats some ass yeah and she i mean and like she looks like she could beat some ass like that woman is we looked it up she's 50 years old and she is like in phenomenal shape. I was like, good damn lady. Good damn. But yeah, no. I was uh, like she's, totally into it. She's been doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I've no, I've, like, she really? was in uh, the Scream TV series. Oh, I didn't watch that. Uh, Umbrella Academy. <laughs> she does a lot of voice work for stuff. I know she did voice work like that. I knew about, but like real, like, you know, forefront, like type of stuff. I don't, you know, uh, she has, a, she does a lot of TV. 
it looks like she was really she was really good in it and i yeah i'm gonna go back to the music in that and i feel like they went to like my saved songs on spotify because <laughs> they had the range i mean it goes from like you know tiffany to queen to 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 radiohead it was amazing. oh my god when that radio so, yeah. song oh dropped. my god i'm sorry i'm still like in my head i'm just saying like i think we're alone now <laughs> doesn't seem to be anyone around i'm just uh, for like the past, well. like five days oh thanks. Yeah, that was good it's a, it's a it's a karaoke favorite of mine <laughs> <laughs> oh we're i'm excited karaoke uh, some night oh yeah i love me um i'm excited for you joy to watch the final two episodes because they they ramp up something fierce and uh it's a hell of a hell of a cliffhanger ending. I'm only yeah. on six. I'm only on six. <laughs> um, I will tell you, Jess, six and seven, you have to watch together. Like six, I was like, this episode's kind of boring. And then seven's like, Whoop! so you got to watch it. Okay. Well, I'll be watching that as soon as we get off here tonight. I'm going to probably binge the rest of it and not sleep tonight. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, and while we're on the subject of TV, uh, I just want to tell y'all. If you haven't watched Castle Rock yet, go watch Castle Rock. Hands down, one of the best television series I've seen uh, in a in a while. Or coupled together with the other awesome shows that I've been watching in the past little while, it was amazing. Uh, that's the show with uh, several of Stephen King's like properties and characters all mixed into the same town and involved with one another. It's awesome. Okay. Let's move on to Ms. No. no. I don't want to do this. I know. It's time. It's it's happening. It's time. You gotta it's let so go. sad. I cried. I cried Alcohol. at the end. <laughs> pour out. Uh, the last, the last, the last. Oh, I can't even say it. Yeah. Bob, please. Yeah, sadly, this Ms. Marvel number 38 is the final issue for Kamala's co-creators, G. Willow Wilson and editor Sana Aminat. Uh, we have a cover by Sarah Pacelli, which helps to ease some of the pain, but uh, it, it is five years. It's been five amazing years of a character that when you read the back matter, they didn't think would go five issues, basically. Get enough for a trade and move on. I mean, what a crazy idea. For a series, a teenage Pakistani-American girl in, in Jersey City. Hey! Hey! You know, <laughs> it's not Manhattan. It's not the West Coast. It's not Gotham or Metropolis. It's just regular old Jersey City. But the the city is as much a star as these characters were. It, it made it real and grounded and just really very special. Uh, we have an all-star cast of guest creators, each telling of a different gaming level world that Kamala and her friends emerge into after being sucked into a wormhole, where else, in the Circle Q's freezer. Uh, there are many quests bring the issue back to what every issue in this series has been about since the start. It's friends, family, genuine human emotions and interaction. It was my very great pleasure to be able to speak to G. Willow Wilson over at Escape Pod in Huntington some months back and I got to tell her what I felt about the power of her work, uh, the effect it has on readers of every gender, ethnicity, age, reading habits, non-comic folks. And I've said here on many occasions, and I, I said to her that night, it, it's my film that Ms. Marvel was the modern equivalent of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko Spider-Man. 
and we, we had a lovely conversation, and she seemed to be touched by, by what everyone says. And when you read her words about what people think about the series, she was genuinely moved to write this book as well as we have been reading it. So for, for all those readers who have been impacted by this book who didn't have the chance that I did, to, to be able to say this to, to G. Willow, well, you know, it, it's goodbye to a, a very special run and to very special people. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> All right. All right. Get it together. Yeah. <laughs> Joey. Wanna. Yeah. Or Jess. Oh, you don't, don't want wanna. to? I don't want right. to. <laughs> As our uh, Jersey resident, why don't yeah. you go next? Uh, I just um, I remember going to the store on the day of issue number one, and there were news trucks outside of Floyd's comic shop, which lovingly becomes Roy's comic shop in the in the Miss Marvel series. You know, oh. I remember turning the pages and looking at the panels and saying, that's my city hall. That's McNair, which is down the street from me, like uh, the waterfront. I know that building. I know this place. I, I, Wilson lives here, you know, or and and um, it, uh, it always meant a lot to have that. It always meant a lot to be like, yeah, Miss Marvel's from Dirty City. Get out of here, you know. Um, all that inhuman stuff, we forget about it, whatever, that doesn't matter. But, uh, the, you know, it's just, it's just one of those books that has consistently and always been incredible and it has been definitive. And there, I remember, like I said, I remember, you know, my comic shop's not there anymore. And I, I, I remember going those weeks to get Miss Marvel and, and, and that was something that, you know, Miss Marvel's been in Jersey city for just a couple of years, less than I have you know? So it's like, she's been part of my journey here, uh, which is so cool. And I remember going to Comic-Con this year and seeing the cosplay, you know, as, as Kamala Khan and, and the, in, a, in five short years, this character is now the character that people are actually wanting to see in Captain Marvel, <laughs> more so even than Captain Marvel herself, which is, uh, to be fair, I am so hyped for that movie. I can't believe it's two weeks away, but people are already saying like, you know, Brie Larson, what do you want in the uh, sequel? Miss yes. Marvel, you know, like that's what I want. And, and in five years to have a character become that, um, that important that important you know um in the same way that miles has become so important um and yeah in the same way that peter parker was so important all those all those years ago uh and it's and g willow wilson and son Amanat are are the reason for that you know um and ian herring too uh, the yeah, that, every that issue, color, every issue that that's insane, you know. I, mean, I think we talked about it maybe a couple of months ago when another time when we were just uh gushing over uh, uh over Miss Marvel, um, uh, Adrian Alfana, Takeshi Miyazawa, Nico Leon, whoever it was, incredible artists, but Ian Herring on colors gives it that same look regardless of who the artist is and and I think that that's been integral like Miss Marvel has a has a look that it's I'm going to I'm going to have a tough time letting go of uh as we move into a new creative team um it's going to be a little it's going to be a little jarring for me to read and and look at uh 
uh, a new Miss Marvel, as it were. Um, with that said, Miss Marvel is now one of the most important characters that Marvel has, um, which is a testament to what Wilson and I and I were able to do, and the whole team was able to do over the last fifty issues, uh, 60? 60 issues. I think, um, which is just crazy, you know, uh, Marvel rising champions and yeah, I, you know, I think it's going to be Captain Marvel two, Jersey city. <laughs> like that's, that's all what it's, it's going to be called, it. you know? Um, and I think it's just, I'm, I'm going to miss it. And it's a book that I've looked forward to every month and it's, I'm a huge fan of solid Nummit. So like, I'm, I'm going to follow along, but it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird uh, for a little while, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, two things before I launch into my own little story. I want Kamala's Wolverine slippers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're amazing. They're tiny. You have to really look for them, but I luckily can zoom in on them with my iPad, and they're amazing, and I want them. Uh, and two, she has dinosaur bones buried beneath her house, the dinosaur is wearing a Santa hat. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so this like congratulations. This, this book, like we've seen so much of her life. Her 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 brother got married and had a baby. Yeah. It's like all of this stuff that she's had to deal with. There was a science fair with sharks. Do you remember that? That yes. was yeah. crazy. And then there was the Doc X thing, and it was just like we've done so much. Yeah, man. There was an entire arc where she disappeared and her friends had to take over. Yeah. And it was amazing. Oh, the my old God. people's home and everything, voting, Remem- all yeah. that. Remember when Zoe was the mean girl and now she's yeah. just trying to yes. find herself as a as a lesbian? It's crazy. Remember um when she confessed to Nakia and oh. they had that moment? Oh. Yeah. I'm crying. Oh. My yeah. heart. My heart. <laughs> Remember basic Becky? Basic <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the beginnings of Ms. Marvel for me were back in the the tour comics days when we would uh, gather around the the, the trough and wait for yeah. the books to come in, and Rob would you know distribute as as he needed to every week. And I remember when Ms. Marvel had hit, and like Lauren was there, and I was there, and Brendan was there, and Bob and everybody, and like it was it was a like a gathering and a celebration. And we were all so psyched for this character and so hopeful for what this character could mean. And the idea that this character has grown into who she is now is nothing short of, of amazing and game changing for, for comics, you know, like who would have thought that uh, a character like this from Jersey would rise uh, the way that she has and is now, a part of so many different branches of Marvel. There's at least four or five things where Ms. Marvel is, is there and she's a, you know, a main player. And now they're putting some of their best talent on the book going forward because they do know how valuable she is. You know, they are talking about making a Ms. Marvel movie down the line and stuff like that. And it's just very exciting stuff. You know, G Willow and her team have, they've created an icon and it's it's been really cool, like as a reader and and through doing this show and staying connected to the stuff, to have been there for the entire journey. And like there have been times where I've taken a, a few months off, and and but I always come back to it, and it's always so good. And I always end up reading it multiple times. Which I don't always make time to do that for books, but I always make the time to do that for Ms. Marvel because it's always worth it. 
Uh, Jess, do you want to say a few things? Yeah, you know, I, I, I am sad. I'm not going to lie. I did tear up at the end of that book when, you know, I'm going to spoiler. Um, there's a spoiler. There's a big hug at the end. And what does it say? It's like never the end. And I was like, yeah. no, like, no, no, no. But, you know, I, I think that I have like so many memories with these books and not even just connected to the book, but like one of our favorite, like one of our first podcasts that me and the girls did on ladies of Valhalla, we did miss Marvel. And I think that's one of the better ones too. We have a great discussion about that. And I, you know, I go back to binge reading it, you know, and talking to them as we were reading it together and just in our little chat going back and forth about like, you know, what we loved about it. And, you know, and, and, and you, as you say, like these characters really progress through the book and you really get a sense that you, you know, these characters, you know, you, you have, feelings for them you don't they're not just some you know random superhero you 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 love all of them you know they each have their own you know pros and cons and they've each grown drastically throughout the entire book and then you know the part where she has the bed where they have the baby like oh that killed me that killed me always killed me um you know i i really love the book and one of you know my favorite things bob uh I wanted to go, I was working that horrible job. I had a terrible job and Bob went to go meet uh, Miss Wilson and I did not get to go, but Bob brought me a a lovely signed copy of the first um, trade. And I still had, it's right underneath. You can see it in my living room. It's right, right underneath on my glass tabletop, you know, and it still lives there and it will always live there. And, uh, you know, I'm sad to see it go. I really hope the next creative team does it justice and uh, continues on with these, these characters that we've grown so attached to. And, you know, it's sad. It's sad to see things change and, and move on. But, you know, we got we got something really cool. I think, uh, you know, it's it's something that can't, you know, be denied that it changed things. So, yeah. <sighs> the end of an era. Yeah. Uh, on, yeah. On, that, on that page, just before we get to that, never the end. Uh, it's, it's Kamala in the captions. If I've learned one thing these past few years, it's that there's always another level to beat. But if you hold on to what's important, you won't have to beat it alone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Remember that all right. where they have the sleepover <laughs> and they're all like, of course yes, we do, Kamala yeah. Khan. Like, of course we do. You were Miss Marvel. Get out of here. You know? like, Come on. And Pizza Girl outside. Mutant Pizza Girl. And her way of connecting everything to video games also, for me, always had, like, a real connection. Like, she she definitely played these games, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And her, like, World of Battlecraft references. Like, it, it connected me to a character that you don't think you can be connected to. We're so different. And, you know, I'm a 35-year-old married white woman who connects with a 16-year-old Pakistani superhero, you know? So uh, that she yeah. could do that for someone is is pretty powerful. Yeah, totally. Indeed. Yeah. For the record, there is no Cold Street pothole. Okay, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> For the record, that that street is is serviceable. <laughs> and that's all, right. all I had to say about that. <laughs> well, us from from us here at Talking Comics, pour one out for G. Will Wilson, Sana Amanat and their teams run on Ms. Marvel. Thank you ever so much for all of the memories and good times. Um, look forward to what's next. All right. Let's move on. So before we get to our little uh, comics DNA game, I would like to make a correction from last week's episode. Oh, when I was all caught up, we talked about this off air. When I was all caught up in my X-Men read 
and I announced that X-Man had done his own version of No More Mutants. It, the, to be fair, I read the book again. It's a little fuzzy what was going on, uh, <laughs> as as always in the X-Men books. But it turns out that rather than wiping everybody out, we, he actually made more of them. So I was completely wrong, and I'm, I'm owning up to that now. Uh, and in this new age of X-Men, uh, I guess, events, whatever it is that they're doing, uh, with the X-Men books, I'm still not entirely sure, even though I've read three of the new uh, X-related uh, things on top of Uncanny. But um, now, like, everybody's a mutant or something like that. So, like, what I'm getting <laughs> from it is he was like, no more X-Men, right? And all the X-Men are gone from the main universe. But the Age of X-Men books is like an alternate universe that X-Men has created where everyone's an X-Men. So it's like it's like you were it's like you were right, but we also were also not right. Oh yeah, I was totally both right and wrong <laughs> at the same time. I'll take it. Um which is why like the uncanny X-Men books is so bleak and Cyclops is like, "Oh, my friends are dead," right? Um <laughs> and uh kudos for getting salvador laroca back on the on x-men books though he's one of like the best x-men artists of all time but uh so that's why that book is like so bleak and then like the age of x-men books are like so bright and happy and everyone's a mutant and everyone has like weird things going on and it's so fun and strange um it's like secret wars your favorite thing steve Did you, how much did you dig that uh, issue where Cyclops came back? Because I really enjoyed it. Oh, the I, the annual was one of my favorite things ever. Scott Summers coming back was awesome. And then Uncanny 11, which I was like, I like opened up and I was like, is this like a thousand pages long? And then it was. Um, it's it's awesome. I, I'm a huge Scott Summers fan. He is, and I'll talk about this later when we do the comics DNA stuff, but like Scott Summers is Uncanny X-Men. To me, like it's Uncanny X-Men is a Scott Summers story. So to have him back in that book, you know, coping basically is awesome. And there's some really cool stuff with Madrox and Blindfold in there and uh, Wolverine, obviously, too. But it's cool. It's a cool book, man. Um, I am still getting a handle on the writers like Matt Rosenberg is writing this these current issues on Uncanny and. It's just a little different from when Kelly Thompson writes, which is different from when Ed Brisson writes it. So, like, yeah, you I, could definitely tell yeah. when it was one person's voice versus the other. I started to notice that I felt like it was getting farther and farther away from Kelly Thompson as the issues went on. Yeah, so like, I'm still trying to get a grasp on it, but I just, I, I just love that corner of the universe so much, and it finally feels like we're we're back in a way. Um, with that said, I think it is retreading a lot. You know, we have like the vaccine and there's mutants are gone and there's extinction agenda again and blah, blah, blah. But it's awesome. <laughs> and I, I love the struggle and I think it's I think it's great. Um, and I'm so happy to have Scott back. Right on, man. Very cool. All right. Let's get to this comics DNA business. So if you don't know what Comics DNA is, uh, it was a hashtag going around on Twitter that had a bunch of uh, creators and fans kind of celebrating a little bit about who they are as uh, comics people. So the rule is this. You get four titles 
the first title that you bring up is supposed to be your first comic. And then the second is supposed to be the comic that hooked you and made you a fan. And then the two uh, that are left are supposed to be just comics that you feel represent you overall, like as you are now uh, as a fan. So I announced my books uh, earlier on Twitter because I wanted to get in when everybody else was doing it. But um, I'll just give mine super quick. Um, They're very obvious, but I have little stories uh, to go along for each. So my first comic... I will confess that I think it might be Garfield, but it sounds a lot cooler if I say that it was Calvin and Hobbes, which might have been my second book. It's the book that I learned how to read on. It's how my mom uh, taught me how to read was uh, Calvin and Hobbes. So I consider that to be my first foray into comics and still to this day, one of my all time favorites. Uh, The book that hooked me. You all know is I kill giants. Uh, Like I said, I read that book at a very, raucous uh party with a live band and about 65 people milling around uh a brooklyn apartment and there i was uh, having read a few issues of it earlier in the day and then made the trip out to the city and had to know how it ended so i sat on a couch in the middle of the party reading the last issues bawling my eyes out people coming up to me and being like are you okay what are you reading what is that and I had to try and explain, this is comic book, it's so beautiful, like, I've been doing this show for a while, but nothing's ever hit me like this before, oh my god, I finally understand. <laughs> so, that was my I Kill Giants experience, uh, one of the best comic book experiences I've ever had. Uh, and then my, my third is Fantastic Four, Ooh. because of Bob. And, and... Aww. Just, uh, you know, Bob and I have been friends for a long time. We've been doing this show for a long time. And when I I think about all the, you know, nice times that we've shared and when I think about all the lovely conversations that we've had, either on this podcast or otherwise, and, you know, just how much you have been a part of my life and how much you have been a part of my comic book life uh, thus far. You're very welcome. I think of the Fantastic Four, and I, I, I might not be, I might not have the history uh, like Bob, and I might not be able to remember the issue number of one of my favorite characters' debut, but I really do love the Fantastic Four. <laughs> so there's that. And then I picked Saga for my last one, just because not necessarily that it represents me, but one of the things that kills me about Saga that I really love is that for as long as it's been around and as big as it's become, it can still surprise you in a lot of ways. And a lot of what it does uh, to surprise you is in the first page of each issue, or at least the first page of each arc, where Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples go out of their way. They go above and beyond to come up with a first page slam (laughs) that just reminds you that, yup, Saga is back. (laughs) And, you know, like, whether it be dragon genitalia, uh, somebody screaming that they're about to shit themselves, like, (laughs) sextillion, whatever. Like, whatever it is, I just, I I love that world, and I love the way that that... That series has kind of like woken me up to all of these other indie options. I was reading indie uh, before that, but Saga really showed me 
like the scope and and how 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 grand you can get when you're the creator of your own series you say what goes and you're under a publisher that trusts you and is willing to let you take the ball and run with it and you know for 54 issues that team has been doing that uh and it's been consistently amazing it always delivers and you know the fact that it's going to be gone for a year from from when it, it last left us it hurts and it, it hurts not to have it and i feel it and that's just how special saga is to me that i need it in my life um so yeah that's my uh that's my comics dna for right now uh joey why don't you tell us yours okay so i did a little digging because i remembered this cover for the first one like this is the first comic you remember reading and i remember this this it was a green cover of detective comics and it had the joker's face on it and it had batman's face on it and it was green and i remember reading it so i i pulled up all the covers from detective comics <laughs> of which there are a thousand issues yeah. and i did some math and i was like okay where were we in the 90s and it was Detective Comics number 781, covered by Tim Sale and Mark Ciarello, written by Ed Brubaker, with Tommy Castillo and Wade Von Grout Badger on art. I couldn't tell you what the book was about, but I remember this being one of the first comics I read because I remember it was it was like the comic was hidden. It was like I was too young to read it, I think is what my parents thought. But it, it was in my house for some reason. Like someone had bought it for me and they were probably like, he's too young to read it. And I remember they hid it on top of like one of the cabinets. So I remember having to like climb up and get it because I was a bad kid. Climb up and get it. And I remember what that cover looked like. So I did the research and I think that that's probably one of the first like floppies I ever read. Detective Comics number 781. And it's so interesting that Ed Brubaker was the writer on it because one of the books that got me hooked on comics... Um, was the captain his Captain America run with Steve Epting? I remember buying the omnibus from Barnes and Noble, the omnibus as the cashier <laughs> called it. I was like, "Do you have the Captain America omnibus?" And they were like, "Oh, do you mean the omnibus?" And I was like, "Whatever." Uh, I was like fourteen, I don't know. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, sure." So I read it, and that was one through twenty-five. And what I did because I was so hooked, I went to a comic book shop and I bought the next. 12 issues that I had missed or something like that just to just to catch up and I was so hooked um on that so those are two of my four I can't remember the categories but the other book that I was like like definitive for me too was just uncanny x-men flat and I'll include giant size x-men from Len Wayne and Dave Cockrum in there too because I think that book is part of that and it's like a definitive book for me uncanny x-men for a number of reasons one uncanny x-men number 14 um, from the relaunch specifically was the first book I ever reviewed for Talking Comics. Oh. Yeah. Um, Uncanny X-Men number 544, also by Kieran Gillen. 14 was by Kieran Gillen. Um, Uncanny X-Men number 544 was the last issue of the original numbering of Uncanny X-Men. And I wrote back when like personal blogs were a thing. And if you wanted to you know, just be a writer, you had to have a blog of stuff. I wrote this long-ass piece on like why Uncanny X-Men number 544 was like a definitive issue and the end of the run and all that stuff and a review of it. And that was one of the things I sent to Stephanie and Bobby 
for the application to write for Talking Comics. So it's f- funny how that worked out. I also remember Uncanny X-Men number 423 by Chuck Austin and Ron Garney, which is the first of a two-parter called Holy Wars, where Nightcrawler finds out that his priesthood was a fake. It was the whole thing. X-Men's awesome. Um, that was one of the first books I remember buying with my own money from Barnes & Noble off the newspaper rack. Um, Uncanny X-Men number 423. And also just Uncanny X-Men has just been like a huge part of my life um, and the X-Men in, in general there too. So those are three. Detective Comics number 781, Captain America by Ed Brubaker and Uncanny X-Men. And then the book for like who I am now, I, I, think, I think it's probably Miss Marvel. We just talked about it, and I kind of changed my mind. Like, I, feel- I thought you were going to go Wicked and the Divine. Well, Wicked and the Divine is the greatest book ever written. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. But like, well, Wicked- there we go. But like Wicked and Divine, Backstagers, Giant Days. Like these are books that I love, and I love reading. You know, um, but in terms of a book that like, if people are like, "What's your favorite book right now?" Like, what's the book that like you would only read if that's the only book you had? I'd probably go with Miss Marvel. Um, I don't know if that's going to change. I hope it doesn't, you know, but I, I feel like that's the one that has always been there for the last five years in particular has kind of very quickly topped the list of recommendations, of gifts, of, you know, things I put at the top of the pile to read, of things I'm most excited about. Like, I've gifted Miss Marvel number volume one, like, how many times, you know, Bob? Like, how many times have yeah. I given away that book? Um yeah, I, I think that that would probably be it. Backstagers is a close second to that, too. Um, and, yeah, I just... I love comics. This was fun. Uh, other books other books that were on my list that didn't make it onto the top four was uh, Day Tripper from Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba was a, a volume I picked up. And that book was just like, oh, my God, this is this is what comics are. Um, and also American Born Chinese by Dreamland Yang. I've talked about it many, many times on the show. Um, but that is a book that is like definitive to my life as well. Um, but yeah, man, that's my list. So hyped to be reading on Candy X-Men again. Let's go. <laughs> Very cool, man. Fine picks. Uh, Jess, would you like to go next? Sure, sure. So I, I think I've talked about this before. The, I know the first comic that I ever read was the first issue of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac in high school. Um, I, I know I read like comic strips, you know, like, we, you know, I remember Silly Putty and making things and reading comic strips and stuff like that. But like the first actual comic I ever picked up was Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. And I remember and I actually sent... Uh, Bronwyn and Sarah, a picture of my sketchbook that I found from when I was 16 years old. Okay. (laughs) 16-year-old me flashback of like drawing um, panels from that book because I was so obsessed with the artwork and I I wanted to draw like, I just wanted to draw like that. That's how I wanted to draw. And I have like pages and pages of me just studying that book and wanting to draw like that. So I think, you know, in essence, that has always kind of inspired my own artwork. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful to my friend Shanna, who is like, you got to look at this. You'll like this. And that was it. <laughs> you know, and that was it. And I did. And I loved it. And I mean, that spread to to other weird books, uh, you know, Lenore and stuff like that. But really, you know, that first Johnny the Homicidal Maniac issue, like, sold me on on that. On And I was, you know, I was a weird gothy kid in high school. And it was a weird gothy comic book that I could, you know, kind of just sit there and be like, I want to draw like that. That's what I want to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um 
the book that got me hooked was definitely um, Saga. And I have a little fun story about that. Um, when I was an adult is when I finally was like, you know, I, I want to read comic books. Like, you know, as a girl, when you're younger, you're not really influenced to do so. And I always liked video games and I played a ton of video games. And I was like, you know, I really want to read comics. I like, but like, you know, like, where do I even go? Where do I start? So me and my friend Andrea hopped in the car and we went down to the tiniest little comic book store in Sable. Um, and at that time, I think it was just still amazing comics. And uh, Anthony had purchased the store from a guy named Bob, who had owned it for 30 years. It had been there forever. Um, it was literally like the size of my bathroom. Uh, you know, a little place, yeah. like so tiny, like you could touch like one side to the other side with your arms. But it was there forever, and uh, you know, we see this, you know, kind of funny bald headed dude like sit behind. He was younger. I was like, I did not expect him to be here. You know, <laughs> like you kind of pictured like an old dude sit behind the counter in this place. Uh, and well, there we was, like, there was, <laughs> there, and that's what I, yeah, and that's what like that's what you expected, and it, it wasn't. It was Anthony, who was a young like dude, and we went in, and and we were like, well, we don't know what we're doing, and we we just want to read comic books. And he was like, you know what? Here, I'm gonna give you this, and if you like it, come back and buy it. And it was Saga. It was the first volume of Saga. Wow. And yeah, That's and he gave us yeah, he gave us he gave us the book and I came back and I was like, I need more. I need so much more. I always need more. And that turned into me, you know, uh, years down the line, he bought the new store. And by the end of it, I'm, you know, working there, you know. <laughs> so so that book was really my first interaction like with that store. And that store became my home. I mean, on Sundays, Bob can, can tell you this. I've been in there and I've been out running errands and I'll go there at the end because I want to use the bathroom. You know, like that's where I go to pee. <laughs> you know, I love it's so home, it's so much home for me that like I will stop there to use the bathroom because I don't want to use the bathroom somewhere else. You know, um, that led to such wonderful friendships. It led to me being here. I met Bob. You know, and and really, it all started with someone giving me a copy of of Saga with Anthony giving me a copy of Saga for free and saying if you like, buy it. You know, um, and I did. And then I'm going to use that as my 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 third book. I'm going to go with that as well. And that's after I read Saga. He was like, well, why don't you try out Rat Queens? And I was like, OK. And then I then I was like, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I'm done. This is it. I'm in there. I am. I cannot get away from this. I binge read that. Um, and it still makes me so sad to see what happened with the book. Um, I still purchase all the issues. Um, they're still good. Uh, it's not the same. It was never the same again, but like those two books really, um, it, they were something that I could connect with, especially rat Queens. It was, you know, a bunch of, of misfit chicks that were just kind of like slaying dragons and kicking ass. Like it was so abnormal to me. I didn't think that that even was written you know i had no idea i didn't think that was a thing so when i found out it was a thing because you know we had tried to i had tried to pick up you know different superhero comics and i just didn't even know where they were you know i was so in the middle of everything um another quick one that I, was i read the court owls and i was like oh i like batman and, and for me so so those are kind of like a double two and um my last book I'm going to have to say for, I guess, who I am now is I will go with the book Nimona, which was the first book we did for the Ladies of Valhalla podcast. And um, really something special really spawned out of that. And the friendships that I've created with those two women to the point where we are 
all getting in a car and going to, you know, it, like really like Sarah's coming from, from the UK. I'm coming from America. We're all meeting in Canada. Our bad joke is finally happening. A Canadian, <laughs> a Canadian uh, a Brit and an American are going to walk into a bar and, uh, you know, it spawned something so wonderful. And those girls are really like the most lovely human beings I've met and I talk to them every day and they know everything that's going on. And I'm think bees sending me messages as I'm podcasting right now. Your wife is the best thing ever. Steve, I'm sorry. She's upstairs <laughs> in the bedroom playing Diablo. <laughs> oh, is she? Yeah, there you go. You know, I mean, we, uh, Dan and I bought a car and we had like a whole bunch of issues with it. We, he actually finally got it like right before the podcast started today and brought it in the garage. Um, and, but like, you know, just having those girls there to like send them, like, I'm going to kill people at the car dealership. Like that's what goes on in our every day. We talk all day. Um, and it, that book just spawned something really lovely and, and, and gave me two friendships that I don't know how I ever lived without. So, yeah, we, uh, I tell I obviously, cause you know, I, I live with her. I, <laughs> you see, live with hope. Yeah. <laughs> I see portions of the conversations, uh, you know, obviously I don't see everything, but it's it's really been incredible to kind of w- w- watch it grow from the outside looking in and and seeing how strong the friendships have become. I think since we last were in New York and you met up at uh, yeah. Reese's and, yeah. and the two of you met in person for the first time. Which and uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's incredible. There are times when I can't get her attention because she is just in a laughing fit over some something like a, a gif war endless that gifts. the three There's of you just are endless. Having. They're so funny. The three of you yeah. are so funny. I cannot yeah. wait for you to come and visit in I April. We're going to have so much fun. Yeah. And, you know, and so Nimona kind of started that all for us. So I think that, you know, it was a, it was great. And, and it's a great book. If you haven't read Nimona, read Nimona. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's really it, it's just absolutely lovely. There's nothing else I can really say about mm-hmm. it. So, and the movie is on its way. Yeah, what? right. What? What? Yeah, really? yeah. There's gonna. Oh be yeah, a- yeah. They've been. Yeah, that's been in production for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be real good. All right, Bob. Why don't we? Uh, why don't you take us out with your comics DNA? Oh, okay. Well, I don't have four. I have like thirteen. But I, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. First of all, my comic book DNA doesn't actually start with a comic book. It starts with a TV show. It's The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves that showed me what a superhero was. But I'm going to stick to the rules of the question and leave TV shows out of this. Um, I can still remember sitting in my father's black and white 1954 Ford on a hill about to make a left turn onto Route 110 in the Huntington Village, New York Avenue. And holding in my lap, Fantastic Four number five and Showcase number 37 that had the Metal Men in it. Both with robots on the cover. And the Metal Men has, well, to me, Dr. Doom was a robot. Now, he's in that Fantastic Four number five. And the Metal Men, obviously, a team of robots fighting a giant flying manta ray with radioactive eye beams. You're five and some change. That, that That's going to attract you. But I, I fell in love with the characters in the Fantastic Four. And it, it all began then, and then it was every Saturday going to the doctor and getting my various allergy shots and things taken care of, and my dad taking me to the local candy shop. I met someone last night who grew up in Huntington who actually ran that candy shop where I bought my books, or my father bought books for me, you know, 57 years ago, which was kind of wild. 
But yeah, it all began with FF number five. Issue six, Submariner and Doctor Doom team up and they float the Doom floats the Baxter building into outer space and Namor is surfing on the building. It's just when you're at that age and something strikes you, as, as you've all described with these books that, that all hit us in the first time, there's something magical happens and it just opens up the world for you. The thing that got me hooked, and I'm going to use a little different thing here, is what hooked me as a grown-up. And I wasn't really a grown-up. I was 16 years old. Steve Englehart's Captain America run, which begins with issue 153, goes to 186. He did 40 years until Jack Kirby came back on the book. Opens with the cap of the 50s. And we get into the secret empire and nomad. And it, even though there, there was political stuff in books and, and, and Stan and Jack and Steve and John Romita, whatever, had always tried to keep the world outside your window, as he described it in these books. It was seeing Captain America look at the country differently uh, in terms of not the people within it, but the people who were in charge, who maybe didn't have everyone's best interests in heart, who were somewhat short of the ideal that America should be about. And I, I've had conversation with people who say, well, Captain America is just this jingoistic character. It's the flag and so on. It's not necessarily. It's about the great idea of America and what it should be and how it, it should embrace everyone. And so seeing that in those books as a teenager, as, as your first flushes of political thoughts are coming into your head, that was the guy. And there he was right, right in a comic for me. Uh, Soon after that, I had read the old Justice League books, read Robert Kaniger's miserable Wonder Woman that was around in the 50s and 60s, where she was dating Amoeba Man and all this stupidity. <laughs> my, my library, wherever I grew up in Huntington, this was at, at J. Taylor Finley Junior High School, I guess it was, had, no, it would have been Huntington High at that point, right, because I moved on by then, uh, moved up. They had, and I bought two copies since, one paperback got destroyed and had to be replaced. Uh, Ms. Magazine, who Wonder Woman is featured on the first issue of Ms., and it was that uh, Gloria Steinem, who I share a birthday with, I don't believe in astrology, but Gloria Steinem and I have the same birthday. They, they persuaded DC to give Wonder Woman her powers back, but more importantly, Ms. Magazine curated with, with Phyllis Church and, and Ms. Steinem the original Golden Age stories of Dr. Morriston and Harry Peter and pulled into sections about sisterhood and, and friendship and, and to see what Wonder Woman was supposed to be as opposed to what I had been getting for 10 years of mostly awful stuff changed the way I looked at that character and about heroin. I briefly drifted into the idea of how much better it would be when I saw a uh, it's Avengers 83. It's the first Valkyrie and it's her lady liberators. And wow, Superwomen is really kind of a neat idea. But it was that book that brought it, it, my thought about this sort of thing into place and, and how characters for different audiences. I'm just a teenage white kid from the suburbs. It's, wow, it, it, there needs to be characters for everyone. And that affects the way I think about what we do here uh, for all this time. And then finally, related to that, it's just as we began, it's a uh, it's Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue DeConnick. 
that where things had gotten awful in the 90s, I dropped away from a lot of my own books. So many terrible things that happened to characters I liked, for, whether it was just terrible art choices, story choices, whatever, and then those hideous swimsuit issues and all the rest of these things that were going on. And here was, as I described in a piece I wrote, it, it's a book that when we look back and we came out of those dark ages to this, it is this character in this run that began to change not only one person's way of looking at books, but maybe the industry's way of looking at characters and their audience. And we're still fighting this fight, and it seems like it's, 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 uh, it's the, the labors of Sisyphus to push this rock up the hill to have it fall back on us again. But it, it is changing. We have these movies and, and such a wider group of readers again, a broad group of creators from all sorts of places and times and genders and ethnicities. And I think, we, I, for me, it, it's Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue DeConnick really put that in my mind is that this has to be. That it's important and it needs to be stood up for stridently, angrily, as she said at a Women of Marvel panel, yes, I know I make people uncomfortable, but if it means my daughter doesn't have to go through this crap, then fine, I'll do it. And so we do a little bit of that around here, too. So those are mine. Very nice, Bob. Very nice. This was fun. I like this. This was yeah. fun. It's a little emotional. <laughs> yes. Get a little verklempt towards some of yourselves. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about the books that we're excited for. This new comic book dated. Everybody make a list. Yes. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Jess, what are you picking up this week? Um, on my pull list, I have The Exorcisters, which I think I'm too behind on. I don't think I read number four. Um, there's a new book coming out called Sharky Bounty Hunter. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what it is, but it's it's on there as well. Um, Anthem number one comes out for the game that's coming out. Right, that drops yep. Friday. Yeah, yeah uh, so Friday. I'm probably gonna probably gonna pick up that Batman number sixty five, Aquaman number forty five, Catwoman number eight, um, Black Widow number two, uh, Unstoppable Wasp number five, Venom number eleven, and uh, Rainbow Bright number four. Which is <laughs> when we met <laughs> Jeremy Whitley at Comic Con. He this is the cover that he slid across the table to me like he was selling me drugs. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's like, I have something to show you. I think I could tell this now because I got something. Um, you just got to yeah. try. Uh, yeah. And he yeah. was like, I have something that I, I want to show you because we had been talking about like what we were talking about dragons at that point. I don't even know. It was like down and he's like, I have something that you need to see. And he like put takes out his phone. He punches a couple things in, puts it on the table face down and like slides it across the table. And <laughs> I'm like dying. And it was her like riding. <laughs> Riding out, I can't remember the horse's name now, but you know her Pegasus, and I was just like, "This is amazing!" And then when I saw it come out today, I was like, "Yes, I've seen this." <laughs> so yeah, I'm. Very are you are you picking up Anthem on Friday? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna grab it. Why not? What are you getting it for? Uh PC. Ah, damn sorry. you! I'm sorry. What are you gonna play it on? PS4. Oh, I don't have a PS4. I'm not allowed to have one. Dan told me I wasn't allowed to buy one just to play Spider Man. Whoa. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> he said, "You're not allowed to have one just to play Spider-Man, child." Like, I, like, listen, he does have to rein me in sometime. If 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 he didn't, like, I'd I'd be living in a box with a PS4. Okay, so <laughs> it was a smart idea. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Bob, what are you picking up? Uh, basically, Jess's list. 
uh, Catwoman, Batman, Aquaman, Wasp, and uh, certainly Black Widow number two. And I don't know if we can get enough people, because it depends when they're all listening, but for our Canadian listeners, hey. tom- tomorrow from 6 to 9 p.m., Jen and Sylvia Saska will be signing Black Widow number two at the Silver Snail in Toronto. Ooh. Interesting. Um, okay. Joey, how about you? Uh, Bitterroot number four. Um, I'll probably definitely picking up the second issue of Naomi. Um, Black Widow number two as well. And I'm definitely going to pick up Age of X-Men. Amazing Nightcrawler number one because I'm into this X-Men stuff, man. The Age of X-Men is going pretty well, I think. Um, also, Marvel's putting out Love Romances number one. Might check that one out. I love these little uh, bit genre pieces they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's me for this week. Uh, my list is pretty simple. I've got Aquaman number 45, Batman 65, Naomi number two, Rainbow Bright number four, Bitterroot number four, Middle West is dropping another issue this coming week, Monstrous number 20, Black Widow number two, Guardians of the Galaxy number two, I'm really excited for, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, uh, Uncanny, and Venom as well. <clears throat> Does anybody have... Any closing remarks before we wrap up this week's show? Pour one out. Pour one out. Pour one out for <laughs> Pour one out for the Punisher on Netflix, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, get out of here, Bill. Take a drink with me, Frank. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess uh, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you could send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Don't forget to check out TalkingComicBooks.com for reviews from our fantastic contributors. And don't forget to check out Talking Valiant, D&D Adventure, Bendis Assembled, and the Ladies of Valhalla. Mm-hmm. Have you decided on your next book yet? Um, it's going to be Lady Castle. Nice. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do some Lady Castle. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bob, where can our listeners find you? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And Joey. (laughs) At Joey Bruccino. And Jessica. Steve. Uh, (laughs) I'm at Jarsica. All over the place. Everywhere. (laughs) Uh, I am at Dead underscore Anchorus on the internet. So for Bob. Stay embiggened, everybody. For Joey. Two weeks till Captain Marvel, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica. Bye-bye. I have always been and always will be. Steve say, thank you very much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. Sounds. See, I forget. Oh. Forgot to do things. <laughs> <laughs>
gotta get into the groove, boy. It's been a while. Gotta, gotta move your to love me. to me. Yeah. 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 Safe light yeah. repair, safe light replace. <laughs> <laughs> Same beat. Same beat. Yeah. I did Gaston at karaoke Amazing. Saturday night, oh, Joey. Give us a tease. Give us a tease. You would have been, oh my God. Hold on, wait. We're going to oh, do yeah. karaoke when I come there, right? Because yeah, we are. Crapsy when are you guys we did. going to Canada and how come we weren't invited? <laughs> Tom, Dick, or Stanley. 